Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So glad you're able to join us for worship today. We're coming up on almost a year of recorded services that we're able to edit and put things together and create packages for you to enjoy for worship from your home. Uh, Our philosophy has always been that our internet service was so you could sort of peek into worship and be part of it from a distance. And for these months, we've actually been producing it for the internet. We're going back to a live broadcast next weekend on February 13th. I uh, hope you'll be tolerant with us because shifting from all this recording back to live, there might be some some uh, live bloopers that you'll get to see as part of our worship experience together. We hope not. We hope it'll be seamless, and we look forward to you joining us. And the, uh, that means the service will be at nine thirty and again at noon. Uh, we're uh, We'll be, we'll be doing those live in the worship center. We'll, masks, distancing still is appropriate for all of everyone, and we hope that you'll do that. You know, it's interesting. Our philosophy, because of this time online so much, has shifted a little bit. And on March 6th, we're producing a, a new first service. Some of you will love it, and some of you will probably have to get used to it. But it'll be a new service, much more interactive, especially for our online viewer. And so we'll have people in, in-house uh, worshiping here. But the design of the service, especially with you in mind. So that'll begin on March 6th. And we look forward to your participation and uh, give us your feedback as well as we begin this new, this new uh, approach for our online audience. Before I begin the message, let me just uh, pray for us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who is interested in every detail of our lives. And sometimes we just, we get our lives getting in uh, maybe a rut or we begin to think things are one way. And then through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you can pull back the curtain and, and show us a, a different view. And I pray that today as we look at this passage that you'll teach us what you want us to know that might expand our view in our world in Jesus' name. Amen. The human story is very short-lived before we arrive at the first murder. It's after only 87 verses of our Bible that we have our first homicide, the first killing of a human that we would easily classify as murder. Sin on our planet was still relatively new phenomena, but its effects were revealing themselves. The, the means for setting, settling a disagreement, the way to resolve conflict, the process for handling jealousy Simply remove the one with whom you disagree. Eliminate the one uh, with whom you are in conflict, and your jealousy can reduce if the person is no longer around. By the time human history arrives at Mount Sinai and the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, included as number six is, you shall not kill, which is, would be better translated, you shall not murder. Theologians and ethicists have scoured scripture and they've come to the definition of murder. By combining some texts, some have arrived at this definition of murder, the shedding of innocent blood in time of peace. 
This would remove from a moniker of murder the shedding of innocent blood in time of war, what we call collateral damage, and the shedding of guilty blood in time of peace, what we call capital punishment. In the teachings of Jesus and today's scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, and the other passages that we'll consider this month, Jesus moves the bar. He, he moves the bar. There can be no full satisfaction from meeting the low bar of, of the action in either doing or not doing the overt behavior. I mean, like someone asks you, how's your walk with Jesus go, doing? And with a great air of satisfaction, you say, it's really good. I haven't murdered anyone. There's no doubt that this testimony is a good thing, much preferable to confessions of murder. But even in a secular society, the testimony doesn't seem all that noble. The greater risk with this kind of literal limited obedience is that there can come to the believer the delusional satisfaction that their performance of not killing anyone commends them to each other and to God. And it also can blind us into not recognizing the expanded version of how we can murder intentionally, uh, without thinking, in the simple sharing of a story, and we'll get there in just a minute. First, though, I, I want you to have a chance to grasp the background and the radical authority that Jesus assumes in this sermon. The law, the law was sacred ground. The, the super faithful, the super practitioners of Jewish faith were the scribes and the Pharisees. And like all the people practicing the Jewish faith, they loved the law. They had a singleness of purpose in their lives. Their one aim and one desire was to satisfy the demands of God's law, a noble cause. They studied the law. They made laws about the laws. They saw any violation of the law like driving off the edge of a cliff. And so they, they backed up and built these fences and these practices and additional rules and laws to prevent them from even getting near the edge. And so when Jesus is teaching and he starts in on the law, people are listening. Already before the famous Sermon on the Mount, some people seem to have been listening to his teaching and saying that the Messiah has come to abolish the law. And Jesus has to set them straight as he says, no, I came to fulfill the law. Nothing in the law is changing. But then he said something that was either, either discouraging or hopeful, depending on how you heard it. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The common person of the day may have wondered, is such righteousness possible for me? Maybe they were wondering it was just a little glint of hope in their eye. Or they may have heard it as if to surpass them. Uh, then there's no hope for me. I can't ever be like that. And of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were just simply insulted. It, it is right after Jesus has said this that he jumps into his first, you have heard that it was said, teaching. He said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Here's the law. The, the word held sacred, uh, the, part of the Torah. No one else would ever say the essence of what Jesus is saying. 
The, the law says, and for his listeners, this is ultimate authority. It is definitive. It's no, there's no ifs or ands or buts. It is the law. And Jesus, with all authority, continues. You've heard it said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with someone will be subject to judgment. Call someone an idiot will be called before the Supreme Court. And and if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Angry with someone? Well, who hasn't done that? I mean, it's interesting that in the Greek language, there were two words for anger. The first one described uh, as, as being like the flame that comes from dried straw. One of our traditions at our home is to burn our used Christmas tree. And by the time the holiday season has passed and we get around to this ritual, it's pretty dry and crispy. And burning it is a little terrifying. Just one match at the bottom of the tree, and in seconds, it, it becomes this roaring jet engine flame reaching high in the night sky. Crazy fast, crazy powerful, and then it's over. Burns itself out. The first word for anger, which quickly blazes up and then dies down. That's the first word for anger. The other word describes long-lived anger. The anger a person nurses to keep it warm. It's the anger a person will not allow to die. And in James 1, he counsels us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For your anger does not produce the righteousness, of the righteous life that God desires. There are times when we should become angry. But what God, what Jesus is condemning here is, is selfish anger. Seneca called anger a brief insanity. <laughs> so true, because we will do things in anger that we would never do in sane moments. Beware, beware in your life of smoldering anger. When firefighters are battling a forest fire, they can make progress and they, they may even imagine that they have beaten the fire. They've got it suppressed, but imperceptible, some smoldering coals as they pass by may reignite and the fire flare up again. Beware of brooding anger that you won't let go and forget that continues to smolder, wishing for revenge. Jesus moves from anger as a form of murder to contempt. Many translations have Jesus saying, again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were like the Supreme Court in that culture. I doubt that any of you are in trouble for saying Raka to someone. (laughs) I, I, I remember as a kid reading my Bible and wondering what that word was all about. Really, it's really more than a word. It's an attitude. It's an accent attached to really any word you use, an accent or attitude of contempt. Barclay says it's the equivalent of words or tone that are communicating the message of, you brainless idiot, I mean, you're empty-headed blunderer, you silly fool. It, it It is the word of one who despises another with an arrogant contempt. And here Jesus is upping the judgment for this accent of contempt. You're headed to the Supreme Court, more serious than going before the judges in your village. I've witnessed, as as you probably have, this arrogant contempt in three different genres of contempt. There's the contempt which comes from pride of birth and results in snobbery. 
the pride of birth that causes one to look down on another with contempt. Maybe a national snobbery or a region of the country, urban to rural. It happens in majority cultures to the non-majority groups, and it certainly can happen racially. It is really born of the pride of of who one's group is and the contemptuous look and thought towards any who are different from that group. There's the look or accent of contempt that comes from money and pride of material possessions, what we sometimes call the haves looking down on the have-nots with contempt. And then there's thirdly, the contempt that comes with knowledge. I know this and you don't. And I have the secret knowledge that will keep me safe or give me an advantage. And somehow I imagine that that makes me better than you. And we look down with contempt on those without that knowledge. Looking on any creation, any human made in the image of God, looking on anyone with contempt is a self-condemning exercise. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the, how there's the equality of us all being sinners together. And last week, the amazing reality that God has reconciled all things, and that would include all people to himself. How dare, how dare we look with contempt on one for whom Jesus sacrificed to reconcile, just like he sacrificed that we might be reconciled. And so Jesus takes murder and he expands it to include anger and contempt And then he expands it to include killing a person's reputation. Jesus says, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. I think it's sort of funny. I I remember being careful to never use that word about someone because it said in the Bible that you'd be in danger of the fires of hell. But this isn't simply calling a person a fool. The wording implies judging a person, condemning them as a moral fool. When when you use these words, you weren't meaning to disparage the person's mental ability. You weren't calling them a dunce. You were disparaging their moral character. These words were to take the, the person's name and reputation from them and to brand them as a loose living and immoral person. I find it fascinating that Jesus says that the one who destroys his brother's name and reputation is liable to the severest judgment of all, the fires of Gehenna. Gehenna was a, a, the valley of Hinnon, just southwest of Jerusalem. It was like the public incinerator, always smoldering. It was the place where useless and evil things were destroyed. We, we, in our minds, imagine murder to, and, and murdering to be way at the top of the list and to take another's life. But it seems here that Jesus is insisting that the worst thing of all is to destroy another person's reputation, to take away their good name. Again, William Barclay says it so perfectly in his commentary on this text. No punishment is too severe for the malicious talebearer or the gossip over the teacups, which murders people's reputations. Such conduct in the most literal sense is a hell-deserving sin. In light of the ease with which we can, this can be done today, using tools behind which we can hide, I want to return to James, the first chapter, verse 19, and look at this verse in the direct connection with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. 
If I were to give James Verse a, a heading in relationship to today's message, I'd title it 21st Century Murder Prevention. In this verse, James is going to share just three words of counsel. They've been wise words uh, of, since they were initially penned, but they, here in my opinion, uh, right now, never have a, been a generation with greater tools for murder to whom this counsel has been more apropos. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. When, when the writer says take note of this, that means this, this is important. It isn't just for some of you, not just for something for someone else to hear and practice. Everyone should be, and here they are, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Crazy talk today. I mean, too much of our practice today, whether in person, on a, on a text or an email or tweeting, seems to be just the opposite. Don't really listen. And if you do, don't rush there. Speak up for yourself so no one else is going to talk for you. You, I mean, talk, talk over the other person. Jump in as fast as you possibly can with your opinion. Your say, make it an interruption. Be quick and to speak. Get your point on point. And fly off the handle. Why be sane when you can be instantaneously flare up in anger? That wonderful escape to brief insanity. What would change in our world today if we all determined to be quick to listen? I think real physical murders might come down in number, but for sure the contempt we cast on others, the anger, the murder of reputations would reduce. What if before we texted or tweeted or posted or emailed, what if, what if we made our, a self-regulating rule to go and read three posts or three responses or look up three blogs that agreed with what we are believed to be wrong and read those prior to responding? To be quick to listen, not just to those who agree with us, but especially to those on the other side of the issue. If those across the aisle in Congress could practice this, they, they might discover that they are much closer to at least agreeing on the problem, even if they have different solutions and could find new respect for others trying to solve the same problem and not impugn motives. James says, quick to listen and slow to speak. Maybe we should add, instead of just speak, slow to tweet, text, email, post. Really? How many of your instantaneous thoughts need no refinement before being shared? <laughs> I invite you to mull and ponder and think and sort and recast and edit and allow for some fermentation time for your thoughts prior to their expression. Be slow to speak. I believe if we get these first two pieces of James' counsel going, the third will, will line right up to, if, if we're quick to listen and slow to speak, then there's a really good chance on our journey to, to becoming, not becoming angry. There's really not any appropriate murder. The title's misleading today. No, no matter how many excuses we make about our anger, no matter how superior we may feel and wish to look down on others in contempt, no matter how... It's just that little story that kills part of a person's reputation or sullies their good name. None of those levels of murder are ever appropriate. Not murdering someone doesn't mean we, uh, we aren't murderers in our heart. Jesus knows that we will get out of sorts with each other. We'll see issues from very different ways, different perspectives, and we will, we will damage and wound and have things against one another 
So what? Jesus says, when you know someone has something against you, don't even go to church. Don't drop your offering in the offering plate. Stop. Leave church. Go find the one who has something against you and get reconciled to that brother or sister. Listen to their side. Be quick to listen. And as soon as you hear your voice, question if you've listened sufficient to have the right to speak. Don't interrupt. Be slow to have, and have to have your side be understood and heard. And when you feel anger creeping in, take a break in the conversation. Or go back and, and uh, rest up a little bit. Listen carefully. The quicker you can be reconciled, the better for everyone. Jesus is calling for an inner perfection beyond our performance. And as I study what he wants, I find myself hopeless without him. We are all in default. And so my hope lies in Jesus. For the inner perfection, the only thing that is enough is for us to say that we are dead and Christ lives in us. Like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To live to Christ's new standard, there's only one chance for it to be reality. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in me that will enable my listening. It is Christ in me that will hold my tongue longer than I'd like, hold back that post, not send that tweet, erase that text. It is Christ in me that will speak peace to the storm of my anger. And Christ in me can bring the reconciliation with my fellow human that will prevent murder at any level. Hi, this is Randy McGray podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.